right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we went up to Washita Baptist University, my alma mater, where I graduated from. If you've never heard of that school in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, you might have heard of its nickname. It goes by Harvard of the South. That's how some people know it. And uh, I can't believe uh, that I have a senior uh, looking at schools, getting ready to go uh, to college. You know, it's really crept up on me. I, I remember as a young parent, people looking at me saying, you better enjoy it because uh, it's going to go by fast. And, you know, if you're in toddler stage right now, you're thinking, no, it's not, right? Bedtime routines, you're like, how do they get toothpaste everywhere? But uh, when they get to 18, it really does, man. It just, you go, where did the time go? And you have all of these doubts and fears and questions like, did I, did I, did I teach her everything that she needs to know? Have I equipped her for life? Uh, you just have these, these, these doubts and these, these questions. And, and I think about that. I mean, did I do everything right? I mean, she still talks to me from time to time and texts me, so that's a win. Uh, I think I did okay, and I know I didn't teach her how to change a tire, but I'm fairly certain she knows how to throw a football with a, and make a spiral out of it. So intramural football in college, that's gonna pay off and give her mad props there. Uh, but it, it, it's crept up on me. And for those that are parents who have journeyed this uh, little milestone before me and grandparents that are in the room, you can amen me and say it has gone by really, really fast. In fact, I do a talk nearly every year uh, to seniors and to their parents. And this is what I tell them, that if their child is 18 years old, they are coming to the conclusion of 6,570 days of that child living under their roof. That's 936 weeks. And when you think about this, we don't need to just think about it in terms of raising children. We need to think about it in terms of our life. Now, I want to illustrate it in this way, and this is a fair warning here. I do not in any way tend to be discouraging here. I want this to be a motivator. I want this to hopefully serve as a defibrillator spiritually to shock us into reality. Did you know that the average person living today, they say is somewhere in the mid 70s, okay? So to illustrate it like this, uh, these are many tricks right here, all right? I didn't even know they existed until I got ready for this illustration. But uh, we're gonna say that the average person, we're gonna raise it up a notch, okay? Let's say the average person lives to be 80 years old. Um, that is 29,200 days that God has gifted you if you live to be 80. Now, if you're over 80, and let me just say this, age is, is just a number, right? I mean, if you're 80, listen to me, hear me out. If you're 80 and God allows you to live to be 105, you're relatively young. If you're in here and you're 40 and God's gonna take you out at 50, you're relatively old. So age is just a number, but let's just say 80 right here, 29,200 days, that is 4,160 weeks on the average, if you're healthy and you live to be 80 years old, that God grants you. Now, when you're 18, 80 seems like a long way away, but we've already said you've already had 
936 weeks. So looking at your life, you only have 3,224 weeks left if you're 18 years old. Now, if you're 40, you've lived 14,600 days on this earth. That's 2,080 weeks. You are halfway there. And if you're 65, you've lived 23,725 days. That's 3,380 weeks. If you do the math, if you live to be 80, that means you have 780 weeks left. Now looking at this and looking at life this way, I see two major problems. And James is gonna address both of them in the message today. The first problem is we tend to live our lives like this right here. Doesn't matter what age we are. Like we have all this time and we take days for granted that God gives us and we forget how fast it goes by. Now we'll attend a funeral every now and then and be reminded of our own mortality in that moment. But as soon as we get out of there, we get that out of our mind as fast as we can. The second problem, the second issue flows from the first. And that is because most of us live like we've got all this time right here. We don't live with a sense of urgency. We don't live with a sense of the eternal being at stake. We don't live intentionally. We don't live strategically. And we just take for granted, we think that we have all this time. But James is going to give us a reality check today. You know, it's political season. You'll start seeing it. How fun, right? And we listen to these debates, listen to these politicians, and then the news, after they get through giving a speech or they have a debate, what will they do? They'll have fact checkers. Or what they say in really true. Well, James today gives us a reality check. I'm calling the message, Making the Most of Your Days. James chapter four, starting in verse 13, the Bible says this, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James, right up front, says if we're going to make the most of our days, there are two realities that you need to understand and wrap your mind around. Number one is the uncertainty of life. I want you to notice how these people that James is writing here, notice how they're making plans for the future. Look again at verse 13. Come now you who say, today and tomorrow we will. I mean, there's no debate. There's no discussion. There's no arguing with these people. This is what we are going to do. We're gonna go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. It appears that James, as he's writing this letter, is writing to some businessmen in the church and evidently they have some wealth. They have the ability to make some plans and go and do. Now, James has already written 
regarding one who is wealthy in his congregation. If you recall, way back from the early chapters of James, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he issues many warnings to those who have wealth. And just FYI, he's speaking to every single one of us in the room. We'll unpack it in just a moment. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You continue reading chapter two. It was the wealthy that was oppressing the poor, and James writes, and he warns the church, don't show preference to those who have wealth. Don't show favoritism to the rich, to the haves versus the have-nots. It's a reality. We need to confirm it. We know this to be true. That those with wealth, and again, that's all of us, okay? If you have a roof over your head, somewhere to sleep last night, you are extremely wealthy. You got clothes on your back. Most of you got to pick the clothes that you were gonna wear out of a closet full of them. Extreme wealth. You got to eat breakfast this morning. If you didn't eat breakfast, you're gonna eat lunch. Most are gonna eat two or three times a day. Extremely wealthy. James is speaking to us. And isn't it true? Those with wealth, we sometimes tend to not think we need God because we're not as dependent on it. Because we, we got ours. And if we're not careful, we do exactly what these people are doing. We go and we do, and we don't include God, we got the ability to go on vacations, make plans, splurge when we go out to eat. And watch this, James is speaking to people just like me and you who sometimes feel a little bit entitled, who believe we can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. These people were so certain about their plans. And Pastor James calls them on it. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're making all these plans about what you are going to do and when you're going to do it. And look at what he says in verse 14, the first part. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> he says, take a step back. Like you're going and you're certain. Tomorrow we will do this. And we will go to this town and we will spend a year there and we will set up shop and trade and we will make a profit here. James says, you're so certain, you're so confident, but really? Like you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You're leaving a sovereign God out of your plans who could change your life in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. You're not even accounting for God. He's not even in the mental equation. The root sin here is pride. They're living their life on their own terms, making their own plans, doing with their own resources what they think they can do. Oh, they believe in God. James is writing believers here, but they're living like practical atheists. They're making plans, 
without including God in them. Living as if God doesn't exist. They are certain this is what we're gonna do. Listen, we can go down to Methodist Willowbrook right now, walk into that emergency room, and see a room full of people who were certain they were gonna be doing something else besides sitting there. Life can change in a moment. And James says, you wanna make the most of your opportunities? You better realize and wrap your mind around the uncertainty of life. Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, listen to what he writes in Proverbs chapter 27, verse one. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Last Saturday, families in Israel were gathered together and they had plans. We're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. And in a moment, everything changed. The only certainty in life is that life is uncertain. Let me just say this while we're here talking about Israel. We love our Jewish brothers and sisters. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you can't deny the kinship that you feel there, the sense of home and heritage that you feel as you're walking the Holy Land. Our Savior, we believe, regardless of whether they believe it or not, is the Messiah, is the Christ. It is Jesus himself. And we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the welfare of its people. Hamas is a terrorist organization that needs to be eradicated, no doubt about it. And I'm so grateful that our nation's leadership is standing beside Israel at this time. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer for the many innocent people on both sides of this issue. Listen, God loves the Palestinians as well. And so may or may not be the only thing that we can do, but the best thing that we can do is pray for what's happening. Call down God to bring peace and justice and healing. And one day, he promises he will. Millions right now, though, are living the reality of this point that we're making right now, that life is uncertain. You wanna make the most of your days? Wrap your mind around, understand the uncertainty of life, but also seek to understand the brevity of life. This is verse 14. Scripture says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now this is the most sobering part of the message to me. Weather's changed here in Houston. Can I get a witness? Go outside in the mornings, it feels so good. Every morning I go out there and, and I, I go, you know, just to see if I can see my breath. <laughs> Hadn't seen it yet, but I will. You will too, and you know when you do that, that, that hot breath mixes with that cold air, forms a little vapor, and it comes up, and it's gone. James says, hey, reality check, that's your life. It's a vapor, it's a mist. And this is the testimony of the whole of scripture. Listen, you may think you got all these days, teenager, 
But listen to what the scripture says. Job chapter eight, verse nine. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing for our days on earth are a shadow. He writes elsewhere, chapter nine, verse 25. My days are swifter than a runner. Did you see that marathon runner the other day? Beat the world record. He ran a mile, 26 of them, in four minutes each. It will take me longer to get up off my couch this afternoon <laughs> and go to the refrigerator and come back. He will do that. He will run a mile faster than I will do that right there. Job says, man, this is our days. They are swifter than a runner. Listen to Psalm chapter 39, verse 4. Oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. He says, our days are just, just measuring your hand two or three times. That's how long your life is compared to eternity. This is nothing before you. Surely all of mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Psalm chapter 102, verse three, the first part, for my days pass away like smoke. Verse 11, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Have we made the point here? Sobering. Life is short. There's a brevity to it. Are you making your days count? Jonathan Edwards was one of the premier figures of the first great awakening in the 1700s. He was a pastor and preacher. He preached a sermon, most famously known for this sermon, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the tales that come from that sermon, he preached this sermon and it was so convicting that biographers tell us that the people in the church were climbing over pews to get to the altar to give their life to Jesus. I'm, I'm praying for that day, right? People were like, let me get to that altar and give my life to Jesus. When he was 19 years old, it said, I read somewhere that, that Jonathan Edwards would sometimes walk through cemeteries just, to, just so this whole idea of the brevity of life would be fresh on his mind and heart. He wrote 70 resolves when he was 19 years old that he would read every single week and it would just kind of center him. Listen to some of these resolves. I just brought some as it relates to, to the brevity of life. He said, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Here's one. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. He wrote, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing that I do live to an old age. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Edwards wanted to, to be constantly reminded that the years that he, have been, he has been given by God, the weeks that he has been given are a gift from God and there is a stewardship on his life. And listen to me, this is important. How you live your life, if you make your days count, it has a ripple effect throughout the generations. There is a study done, a man by the name of A.E. Winship, he was an American educator. And he saw Jonathan Edwards' life and he wanted to trace the generations, 
five generations back just to see what God did through his lineage. At the same time, there was a sociologist by the name of Richard Dugdale. He traced the genealogy, five generations, of a man by the name of Max Jukes. Jukes came on the radar because he was in a New York prison and they traced 42 different men to this man's genealogy. Five generations comparing two different people that have lived around the same time. One, a preacher, pastor, loved God, lived for his glory, made his days count, another con man criminal. And listen to what they found. In Jonathan Edwards' genealogy, it produced over five generations, one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. That's Edwards' lineage. Listen to Max Jukes' lineage. Five generations, 1,200 descendants studied, 300 died prematurely, seven were murderers, 60 thieves, over 100 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 were extremely poor living off the government, 440 were addicted to alcohol. So what you see is how you live affects the generations. Are you making the most of your life? How are you stewarding the days that God has given you? Because they're here today and they are gone tomorrow. One of the hearts beats behind next Monday and Tuesday, what we're calling our revive nights, is I'm calling the church Champion Forest Champions Campus, Jersey Village Campus, North Klein Campus to come on Monday and Tuesday. Not tomorrow night. You come tomorrow night, say a prayer for us, and go home and watch the Strohs win, okay? Because ain't nobody going to be here. Next Monday and Tuesday night, we've got 300 pastors from all over North America that will be here for our preaching conference. They're going to be here that night. We've got incredible speakers coming in. And what I thought is, you know, we've got all these preachers coming in. They're gonna be from all over North America leading churches just like this one. And, and the, the vision was birthed. Why wouldn't we call the church to come in? And let's pray for revival. Let's pray and call on God and worship God and hear from God's word so that we can live lives of repentance and make our days count. And I'm gonna ask you to come because we're gonna have 300 pastors here and I'm gonna ask you to pray over these pastors. And the vision is that God would do something in their heart while they're here over these two days. Do something in our heart. And wouldn't it be incredible, Champion Force, if revival began and just started eking out all because we came together and prayed over preachers and prayed together and asked the Spirit of God to move in our country, to move across our, our churches? This is what we want. And so I'm asking you to come together next Monday and Tuesday night. Come for a worship service, come to hear from God, come to pray and ask God for revival. We want our days to count. We need to be praying what Moses prayed in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10 and 12. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So teach us 
to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You want to make the most of your days? Realize, understand the uncertainty of life. Realize, understand, comprehend, wrap your mind around the brevity of life. And I want to give three imperatives of living in light of these two truths. You want to make the most of your days. Number one, stay humble. God will bless a person's heart that is postured toward humility. He will rebel. He will rebel and stiff arm. You will find yourself living in opposition to God if you live pridefully. This is the chief sin of the scripture, and it's the root sin that we see here in James chapter 4. Pride is life without God. And that's what these people were doing. They were making plans not involving God. Listen, you can't spell pride. You can't spell pride with what? Without that I right there in the middle. God taught me this lesson early on in life. I was in the fourth grade. And we had a spelling contest in the fourth grade. And I had made up my mind, I'm going to win that spelling contest. I mean, hard words like Massachusetts. I can't even say it, but I had to spell it. I mean, and the day came for the spelling contest. And they lined all the fourth graders up. And one by one, my classmate losers just dropped out. <laughs> and about two hours in, I mean, we're just going, and when we got through with the flash book of words, we just started over. About two hours in, there's two people standing. Me and Jennifer Williams. <laughs> She's the only thing that stood between me and the Spelling Bee Championship. And I was not gonna lose to Jennifer Williams. And we just went back and forth, back and forth. Finally, after, a, I mean, a long time, I'm talking hours, my, my buddies are sitting at their desk, they're exhausted, they're just tuned out. Teacher just keeps calling out the word. Teacher gives me the word pride. And I just immediately rattle off, P-R-D-E. <laughs> Class did exactly what you did. Looked up, and I lost to Jennifer Williams <laughs> over the word pride. And so God taught me early on, Jarrett, pride is I in the middle. <laughs> hey, look, making plans isn't wrong or bad. It's not a sin to make plans. The Bible says you be diligent. You should be like the ant who stores up for the future. You, you need to make plans and use wisdom and discernment. What it's calling for here is just don't leave God out of it. You leave God out of it, he calls it boastful. It's arrogant. It's pride. Look at verse 15 and 16. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So James says, make your plans. Just make sure that you include God in it. Include God in your today. Include God in your tomorrow. You want to make the most of your day? Stay humble and make sure you're saying, God, I'm gonna, I give my life to you. I give my day to you. This is the importance of spending time alone with the Lord. And you lay your schedule out. God, this is yours. You want to bring some divine interruptions into my life today? God, I welcome them. God, I'm planning on doing this, but I submit it to you. If you need to close doors, God, I'm going to trust you. If you want to open doors, God, I'm going to try to have the faith to walk through. And all you're saying is you're bringing God in. If God wills, this is what I plan on doing. Commentator J. Alec Mortar said this, James is not trying to banish planning from our lives. 
but only that sort of self-sufficient, self-important planning that keeps God for Sunday, but looks on Monday to Saturdays as mine. You don't want to live that way. James says that's arrogant. That's boasting, calls it evil. You know what his half-brother Jesus called it? Foolish. Luke chapter 12 tells a story, and he warns the wealthy. It's a theme of Scripture. Don't depend on yourself. Just remember who gave you the smarts to make that job? God did. Who gave you the relationship to get that job? God did. Who, who, who allowed you to be born where you had opportunity? God did. Jesus said, it's foolish to make your plans without God. Listen to this. He said, take care. This is verse 15 of Luke 12. And be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his riches. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, look at, look at how many times the word I is used. This rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice, I, my, all about him. No consulting God, no including God. And look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? This guy had a spirit of entitlement to him. Had a plan. This is what he was going to do. And he didn't include God. Include God in your plans. Students, as you're planning college, don't just go to school because you figure that's the place you need to go. You pray and include God in your plans. Business person, don't, don't quit that job and go to this other job just because it's better benefits and more flexible hours. You better include God in your plans. Singles, getting married or remarried, don't just do it without consulting God. You include God in your today and you'll have a lot less regret in your tomorrow. So if you wanna make the most of your day, stay humble. Secondly, stay focused. Life's a vapor, it's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. If you wanna make it count, you stay focused on living for Jesus today. Stay focused on living for him today. We don't know, Proverbs 27, 1, what tomorrow holds. So what do we do? We trust God today. Isn't it amazing how much time we spend fixating on something we did in the past, a mistake we made? And we, we, our mind goes to the past or we spend all of our time thinking about what's gonna happen in the future and all of a sudden we just let today slip through our hands. We neglect this gift called today. Proper stewardship of living is saying, God, today, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. And I'm gonna live for you today. Today is the day of salvation. I'm gonna walk in my salvation with you today. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. You, you seek me today. Today, Israel in the wilderness. You remember when they were wandering out in the wilderness, what are they gonna eat? And, and God brings manna and quail and he just, he puts it right out there and he says, look, you go out and collect. And he said, but you only collect enough for today. If you try to collect for tomorrow, what's gonna happen? It's gonna rot, it's gonna waste away. What was he teaching the Israelites? 
I'm gonna provide for you today. Trust me today. Now, admittedly, when, when you're in a tough spot, you're in a trial, like some of you are going, Jared, this doesn't apply to me because, Pastor, let me tell you something. I'm just trying to survive today. I ain't thinking about tomorrow. And I get that. But you wanna know how you get through today in order to survive it? You trust him right now. You put one foot in front of the other. You keep your eyes on Jesus for this second, for this minute. When you're going through tough trials, it is minute by minute. I'm gonna trust you. And then you get through today. And then you get through that week trusting the Lord. And then you get through that next day and you get through that next week. And can't you imagine, teenagers, listen, you've got all this time to live. Can't you imagine if you live it all for the glory of God? What's it gonna be like one day when we stand before the Lord and if God by his grace allows us 80 plus years that we can stand and go, God, look at my life. I didn't waste it. We got, it ain't inauthentic fruit tricks. It's real fruit, spiritual fruit. The God I get to give Back to you. Uh, Ira Stanfield was a hymnist, probably most well-known for his hymn, There's Room at the Cross for You. Wrote, Mansion Over the Hilltop. Elvis recorded that one, made it big. Probably his best one is, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. This lyric captures the sentiment of the point we're making here. He says, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry over the future for I know what Jesus said and today I'll walk beside him for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. So I trust him today. You wanna make the most of your day. Stay humble, stay focused and stay obedient. James four seventeen. whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. You wanna know where the abundance of life starts? You wanna live a life that when you check out of this life and you enter into eternity, you're one that you're proud of, if you know something's right, do it. To not do it is sin. And so if God speaks to you and he says, serve me in this way, you by faith go serve. You do what God tells you to do. Stay obedient to him and you will live a life that matters. There will be no regrets. If he says go share your faith with that person at work, you by faith go share your uh, faith with that person at work. If he calls you to step out in this way, to love sacrificially, to give sacrificially, you do what God tells you to do. Obey instantly. And your days that are numbered by God will count for all of eternity. What is your life? We are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Champion for us, let's make our lives count for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. 
And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.